You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now, we're in a series called A Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is on Psalms 36 through 42. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review last week's podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between Genesis and book one of the Psalms, and we visualized the structure of Genesis through seven core stories, Adam, Cain, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Number two, we looked at how faithful God was through these seven stories and how his plans stood firm, even when they were threatened by the enemy. His plans for us stand firm as well. The bones of Genesis, Adam, Cain, Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These are the seven critical stories. If we will get these bones in place, then we can understand how the rest of the Bible adds muscle and skin on this foundational skeleton. Now, of course, these are not the only stories in Genesis, but they give us an understanding of how the Israelites developed. For instance, do you know where the term Semitic comes from? These days, that term is rarely used in its positive form. It's almost obsolete. We usually hear it in its negative form, as anti-Semitic. But do you know where the term comes from, nevertheless? Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, descended from one of these men. Do you know which one? I'll give you a hint. The descendants of Ham were called Hamites. The descendants of Japheth were called Japhethites. And the descendants of Shem were called Shemites or Semites. There you go. If that question is ever on a trivia quiz, you've got it down. Abraham descended from Shem. It's important for us to know the generational path of the family of God in order to see their family blessings and their family baggage. We mentioned last week that one pattern of baggage was lying. Out of the seven critical men in Genesis, five of them are seriously influenced by lies. I told you this week, we'd find another heavy suitcase that they were carrying. That suitcase was sibling rivalry. Not just natural conflict of people living in proximity either. We're talking about murderous sibling rivalry. Five out of seven of the critical stories in Genesis include abnormally intense sibling rivalry. Only Adam's and Noah's lives do not. And should we really count Adam, who had no brother? Here's the rundown. Adam, no sibling rivalry. He was an only child. Cain. Cain and Abel experienced sibling rivalry to the point of murder. Then there's Noah. Well, he was the firstborn, and we know he had siblings, but we don't know much about them, so we can't say. But then Abraham experienced rivalry between his house and the house of his nephew Lot, and they even had to separate. They couldn't live in proximity. Then Isaac experienced sibling rivalry with Ishmael. Then Jacob experienced sibling rivalry with Esau, including death threats. 
Then Joseph experienced sibling rivalry with 11 brothers, including attempted murder. They threw him in a pit, planning to return and kill him. And in case you're wondering when I'm going to connect the dots from Genesis to book one of the Psalms, it's right here. In Psalm 35, 7 through 9, we read, Although I did them no wrong, they dug a pit for me. So let sudden ruin overtake them. Let them be caught in the snare they set for me. Let them fall to destruction in the pit they dug for me. This psalm that was written by David sounds as if it were written by Joseph. In fact, it sounds as if it were written by some of us. Joseph was left to fend for himself at an early age. He was about 17 when he was left in that pit, left alone by his family when he was young. And maybe you felt that your family has done you a similar disservice, leaving you in a pit so that you felt you were in the negative before you even had a chance to get started in life. Their addiction, adultery, abuse, poor habits, poor financial situation, poor communication, all the dysfunction in its stunning array feels like the pits. And like it or not, you're in it. It's not your own doing. Someone or a group of someones dumped you and walked away. They left you there, clawing at clay walls, trying to come up for air. Well, keep listening because I'm going to tell you how to get out. This is the final podcast episode on the book of Genesis, so it's only right that we end with regeneration. Let's start over with your life. If Genesis is about anything, it's about the beginning. You probably know, as Joseph's story unfolds, he makes it out of that pit, but he enters slavery. And then, when he makes it out of slavery to a state of, let's call it pseudo-freedom, He's thrown back into another pit. This time it's a dungeon. But again, it's not his own doing. See, Joseph was falsely accused. And we can identify with it. Joseph is taken from the pit his brothers dug for him in Canaan all the way to Egypt, where he worked his way up from the bottom of the slave ladder to the top of the slave ladder. Think Mr. Carson, the butler on Downton Abbey. The other servants reported to Joseph. He was the head of the household for Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's palace guard. But when Potiphar's wife made some suggestive advances, Joseph held his integrity and refused to participate. Potiphar's wife couldn't handle the rejection and accused Joseph of doing the very things that he refused to do. Potiphar flipped out and threw Joseph, his right-hand man, straight into the dungeon. Quick, come back to the Psalms with me. In chapter 35, 20 through 27, we read, They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who are minding their own business. They shout that they've seen me doing wrong. Aha, they say. Aha, with our own eyes we saw him do it. O Lord, you know all about this. Don't stay silent. Don't abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up. Rise to my defense. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O Lord, my God, for you give justice. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor, but give great joy to those who have stood with me in my defense. What about all that courtroom language, huh? David is appealing to God, the great judge, to acquit him, to defend him from his prosecutors. 
Well, I guess there's really only one prosecutor. Do you remember in the story of Job that Satan goes into the courts of God and asks to attack Job? Well, I've always thought of the courts of God as being palace courts, you know, a courtyard, not a courtroom. But we can definitely think of it as the latter, especially in the book of Job, where Satan is given an article in the original language. Did you know that? In Job, he's not just Satan, he's the Satan, or more accurately pronounced the Satan, which means the accuser. Yeah, it's a courtroom, and Job is on trial. His faith is on the witness stand, and it is being tried. Hmm, that brings new meaning to what we call trials, or trying times. And maybe it even brings new meaning to what we call witnessing. At any rate, the devil is the prosecutor in the court of God. Now, no attorney jokes here. In fact, while we're on the subject, is it any wonder that the enemy incites our society to take so many pot shots at attorneys? They are the champions of justice, and he is the champion of injustice. So no wonder he makes them the butt of every joke. Now, in this story in Genesis, it's Joseph's turn to take the witness stand with his faith. His life looks unfair. It looks like other people's choices have ruined him again. At first, it was his family when he was younger, and now that he's an adult, it's his employer. Make all the personal connections you need to here. When our faith is on trial, sometimes we are called to bear witness to the fact that God is faithful, even when it appears as if he hasn't been. Now, I I told you that I would help you get out of the pit, and it's the same way that you'll get out of a dungeon, so just keep listening. First, let's look at the three steps that brought Joseph to this dungeon. Number one, someone accused him. That was Potiphar's wife. Number two, someone with authority over his life agreed with the accuser. That would be Potiphar. Number three, he was in bondage. Those are the same three steps that brought Joseph to the pit years earlier. Let's look. Number one, someone accused him. That would be the bitter and jealous brothers. Number two, someone with authority over his life agreed with the accuser. That would be Reuben. The oldest brother in that family would have the authority, and he's the one who suggested throwing Joseph into a pit. And then number three, he was in bondage. So if you're trapped, those may be the three steps that got you there. Number one, someone accused you, Satan. Number two, someone with authority over your life agreed with the accuser. I'm sorry, but that was probably you. And then number three, you were in bondage. The devil can't say whatever he wants about you and suddenly you end up in bondage. At some point, you had to agree with the accuser and that's what got you where you are. I know because that's what got me into bondage in several areas. As an example, I'll mention jealousy. The accuser pointed out to me that several people had things that I didn't. God is not giving you the same wonderful things that he's giving this person and that person and that person. In fact, he's giving you very few of the things that you want and a whole lot of things that you don't want. You deserve better than this. Bam. That's step one. Satan accused me. Now what? You didn't hear the accusation? Listen again. You deserve better than this. Well, he was accusing God of not taking good care of me. But you see, God lives in me. So any accusation against God is an accusation against me and vice versa. So what happened next? 
Well, God has given our spirits authority over our bodies and souls. So I'm the one who gets to say what goes in and what stays out. All Satan needs is for me to play Potiphar to his Potiphar's wife and agree with the accusation. So when he said, you deserve better than this, my spirit said, you know, you're right. I do. Bam. That's step two. And just like that, I was in bondage to jealousy. I got out by following the same three steps that Joseph followed to get out of the dungeon. And you can follow them too. How did it happen? Let's read Genesis 41, 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. That was pretty short, so I'll read it again. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Here are the three steps. Someone in highest authority called the accused from bondage. That was Pharaoh. He was higher than Potiphar. And then number two, the accused agreed with the one in highest authority that he wasn't going to stay in bondage. That was Joseph agreeing with Pharaoh to come out of the dungeon. And number three, the accused makes himself ready and enters the presence of the one in highest authority because in his presence, there's always freedom. That's how Joseph got out. And that's how I got out. It's also how you can get out. Number one, I heard the one in highest authority, Jesus, calling me out of my bondage to jealousy. Number two, I agreed with the one in highest authority that I was not going to stay in a state of habitual jealousy. And number three, here's the key. I made myself ready to be in his presence because in his presence, there is always freedom. How do we make ourselves ready? How do we shave and change clothes in a sense the way Joseph did? It's easy. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 Christ cleanses the church by the washing with water through the word, and then he presents her to himself as radiant. If we want to be presented to Christ as radiant, we have to wash with the word. If we complete steps one and two, but not three, then we'll end up re-entering the dungeon. We have to complete step three. I recognize the source of my jealousy as being my agreement with the lie that God was taking better care of other people than he was of me. I had to wash my mind clean with the word. And here's how I did it. I bought a spiral notebook of index cards, very small. And I wrote down verses where God is saying that he is taking good care of me. It was my notebook of truth. He always takes good care of his children. Any other idea is a lie. So I read it over and over and over. What a good father, what a good shepherd we have. And I disagreed with the accuser. Instead, I agreed with the highest in authority, the great judge who is seated on the bench, the mercy seat forever in his courtroom. I entered his presence because in his presence is freedom. I don't care what pit your friends or family left you in. I don't care what dungeon your employer has sent you to. The highest authority is calling your name. It's time. That miserable cell is over. Ask God to show you what lie you have believed and how you have agreed with the accuser. Then be intentional about washing with the word. 
so that when you come before Jesus, you have your thoughts captive to him. Make a notebook of truth. Don't read it once. Keep it near you and read it until you have stopped believing the lie. Then do what it says in this week's reading in Psalms 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Nothing about your circumstance is going to change just because you want it to. No, you have to wait patiently. But you can choose to wait in a prison or wait in his presence. And only in one is there freedom. Today's music is from Psalm 45 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. Hey, do me a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, will you please rate it and review it on iTunes? That will help other listeners find it. Right now, I don't have any ratings or reviews at all. And also, if you're not on my email list, will you go to nikamaples.com and sign up? That way you'll receive your psalm reading schedule. You can start right in the middle with us. You don't have to back up and go over it. Plus, you'll receive a free hope poster every month. And now, we believe hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going. Chill.